we live in a day where the Ten Commandments is being taken down from our court courtroom walls. It's being removed from public arenas and being treated as um, an, an emblem of division, a divisive teaching, and being literally pushed aside as something that is obsolete in our society. But it's absolutely necessary that we as a people come to a God who has given us his commands and says, this is how you live. This is how you find life. You find it in him. And so God in Exodus 19 is literally setting up the, the, the experience of the commandments of God. In Exodus 20, we will fully find the commandments of God. The, the Ten Commandments are given to Moses in Exodus 20. But in Exodus 19, God introduces himself to the people. And they get a glimpse of God that they had never seen before. They knew God was powerful because they of the Red Sea experience. They can't get around his power. They know that. They know that God is a provider. He provided quail and manna every day. And water flowed from a rock. And, and, and even the, the bitter waters were made sweet. So they, they know the power and the provision of God. But they have yet to have a personal encounter with God. And I can tell you right now there's a lot of people on this earth today that know about God and his power but have not had a personal encounter with God. And that is a sad deal because God is wanting a personal encounter. He wants to be personal to you. He wants to be involved in your life. Not just a little bit, but all the way involved. And many people put God up at arm's length and they say, God, you come this far and no more. I, we, I don't mind knowing about you, but I don't want you to control me. I want to do me. And I've heard people even say, God knows me. He knows my heart. And, and God, 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 me and God, we have, our, we, have, we, have, we have an understanding. No, you don't. God has his ways, and you have to align yourself to those ways. A.W. Tozer said of this chapter, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that if there has ever been a chapter that expresses the holiness of God, it is Exodus chapter 19. Because in this chapter, we see God coming down on the mountain and God says, set perimeters. Don't let the people come any further. Set perimeters. And, and he said, I'm going to come in a thick smoke. And he comes in this thick smoke. And they see the glory, the Shekinah of glory of God on the mountain. The Bible said that the mountain shook and trembled under the presence of God. And the people were astounded at the sound of the trumpet that grows louder and louder and louder. While God is speaking to Moses. Moses through that trumpet. It's an, it's an amazing picture of, the, of experiencing the beauty of God. But here's something fascinating about it. God is approaching humanity, but God says, you cannot come to me. And that's what is so fascinating about these passages, is that God is expressing himself as the one who comes to you, not you come to him. Isn't that true in your life? You couldn't do it. You couldn't fix you. And so God came to you. When you could not come to God, God came to you. 
When you could not reach up into the heavens and shake the door room of heaven and say, God, I need you. When you couldn't stand before his throne in all of your righteousness and holiness and have a conversation with him, God said, I, they can't come to me, so I'm going to come to them. And that's what God is expressing here in Exodus 19, is that God's saying, I'm coming to these people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them who I am. And it's, and. God God is expressing that he is he's he's unapproachable but at the same time he's coming to make a way where you can come and be with him. What a beautiful beautiful picture. You see more than any other attribute in the Bible God is holy. God is holy. You need to know this about your God. We live in a day where the emphasis on God is nothing but love. Love love love. And don't get me wrong, my God is love. But I can tell you also, my God is holy. He is holy. That word holy is, is something, uh, something special. Because if I was to ask you to give me one word to describe you, holy would probably not be it. So we got a holy God and unholy people. And how does a holy God fellowship with the unholy? How does, he, how does the unapproachable God allow us into his presence? Because, to be honest, if we were to be in the fullness of God's presence, we would be consumed, instantly consumed. And the Bible teaches this in Exodus chapter 19. But God is holy. God even said this. He said, be holy, for I am holy. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16, I have this scripture up on there for you. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God is holy. Now, Peter is literally dipping back into the Old Testament here and pulling a Levitical verse and preaching it in a New Testament setting, expressing to us that God is not just love, but he is a holy God. And because he's holy, there needs to be a reverence in our heart when we come before him. There needs to be a respect that is in us when we approach him. Because if you come to God haphazardly or think you're going to get into his presence with this attitude of, I know who I am and I've got my thing going and, and you got pride and you're arrogant, you're never going to get to the presence of God like that. You'll be shut out because God does not share the glory of coming into your life. He doesn't. He won't share it. Exodus teaches us this one thing. Exodus 19 teaches us that we have responsibility in our relationship with God. Exodus 19 tells us that we have the job of being prepared for his presence. That's what Exodus 19 teaches. We live in a day of two extremes. The first one's legalism. We are holy. We are holy by what we do. How many have heard of that? I'm holy because I wear the right clothes. I'm holy because I go to the right church. I'm holy because I, because I put the right amount in the offering plate. And then they put their whole salvation on what they do instead of who they know. That's legalism. 
But then there's, then there's liberalism, and it's come into the church. It's We are holy, and there is nothing we need to do about it. That's absolutely not true either. One extreme says we got to go crazy, and women need to wear Holy Ghost beehives on their head and long dresses, and, and we, need to have, we, we, we need to be totally different and look crazy and act crazy and, and be completely separated. And then the other group says it don't matter what you do. Do whatever. And I think God's somewhere in the middle where he's saying, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. But what is this separation God is talking about? Is it mean that is it your dress code? No, I'm sure that holiness will affect the way you dress. I'm sure you're not going to walk out there and be immodest and, and live an ungodly life or be promiscuous in your lifestyle. That's not holy. I, I, that's, that's, that's separate from holiness. But, but God, God's saying, come close to him with your heart. There are many people, God, the word of God said, that they, they draw nigh to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me, is far from me. Now, both of these concepts, they abuse the concept of grace. Grace is the balancing factor of how you get to God. You can't get to God any other way. You need to know that. The experience at Mount Sinai with the children of Israel is God saying, I have grace for you. Now God brought the children of Israel to himself in verse 4. He brought them to himself. He literally says, I bore you up on eagle's wings. And the Hebrew word there for eagles is a special eagle that when the, when the little eaglet in the nest would, be, would get to a point where it could fly, it would be pushed out of the nest and it would just begin to tumble down until it would learn to flap its wings and the mother would hover over the little eaglet. And if it wasn't learning to fly, it would simply scoop it up under its wing and lift it back up to the nest and soar back to the nest and place the little eaglet back in the nest and God is saying what I have done for you is I have soared down into Egypt and I have picked you up on my wing and I flew you out and I crossed the Red Sea with you and I fed you in the desert and I gave you water where water should not have come from and I brought you to myself that is what God is saying I brought you to me. And isn't it true in your life that God has brought you to himself? You did not find God. He found you. You may have cried out knowing that there was something in you that needed more of God. You needed God. And so God swooped down into your life and lifted you up out of the pit, out of sin, out of ungodliness. He gave you a right heart and a right mind. He changed everything about you. You used to be something and now you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All of that is because God brought you to him Self. What a beautiful passage. He said, God brought you, he brought you to himself. And that is, that is the picture of grace, my dear friend. That is grace. For by grace are you saved. By grace you're saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
you didn't, you didn't work your way into this. He swooped down and brought you in. He swooped down and brought you in. I want to tell you, I'm so thankful that God didn't march into Egypt and go, okay, listen, Israel, I love you all. You guys are great folks, but you got to obey my commandments, and then I'm going to bring you out. That's legalism, my dear friend. But that's what legalism says. Legalism says if you obey the commandments, then you are in. But grace says you are in, therefore obey. Are you following me now? So God swoops in, rescues the children of Israel, brings them to himself, and then God says, if you obey me, if you obey me, I will make you my treasured people. You will be a treasure to me if you obey me. What a powerful thought that obedience and grace, the grace of God brings you to himself and obedience is what, is what expresses to God that you love him. Jesus said this, Jesus said it plain and clear. He said, if you love me, if you love me, obey my commandments. Isn't it fascinating that, that obedience is, the fundamentals of obedience is rooted in love. Your love for God. We live in a day where there's no responsibility upon the believer. But we as believers have a responsibility. My responsibility is to love God because he first loved me. Amen. That's my responsibility. So God then begins with obedience. He says, if, if, you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments. In verse 5, as he literally says this, if you do this, then you will be my treasured, treasured people. He said, then the blessing comes. The blessing of all that I am in your life comes. Here's what people want. They want the blessing of God without the obedience. I don't understand where people think they're going to get that. It's like trying to say you're going to get a paycheck from, uh, from McDonald's and you didn't work there. It's like trying to say Walmart's going to send me a check and you had never showed up to work. It doesn't work like that. You can't get the blessing without the obedience. You cannot get it. And God is expressing that here in verses 4, 5, and 6. He says, I brought you to myself. That is grace. Then he says, if you obey me, then I'll make you my treasured, my treasured, uh, treasured people. He's saying that I'll bless you. I will bless you because you have come to me and followed me. Many people want, want the blessing without, without it. The idea God is trying to say is, I have this blessing for you, so the blessing is yours to lose. I want you to catch that. The blessing is already yours. God said these are your blessings, your promises, your promises. Everything in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every rhyme. I am standing on his promises divine for every promise in the book is mine. It's one thing to say it's mine. It's another thing to lay hold of it. If I was to pull out a, a $50 bill right here and we had kids in here. And if, I had, if, we, if all the kids weren't next door and I said, hey, I got $50 right here. Who wants it? 
I'm, gonna, I'm giving it away right now. It belongs to the first person who comes to get it. We'd have some kids run up. Some of you might run up here and grab it. I don't know. But if I, I held it out there, kids would be the first one to jump up and get it. It was the obedient heart that gets up and says, if I get up and get over there, he says I can have it. It's that obedience that obtains. It gives access. And God is teaching that in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19. And so I want to read some more verses because this is, this is the beautiful part of this chapter. Can we go to the next verses here? And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. Look at what God is doing. They're going to hear me. The people are going to hear me speak to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. What a picture. They're going to see God and hear God themselves what a powerful let's go on let me read some more you shall set bounds for the people all around saying take heed to yourself that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death not a hand shall touch him but you shall surely he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow whether man or beast he shall not live when the trumpet sounds long they shall come near to the mountain. Let's go, let's go on. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Abstain from sexual contact. contact. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Look at that. To meet with who? God. And they stood at the front of the mount, at the front, foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Next verses. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses uh, to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What a picture. God comes down. But it's fascinating that approaching God demands consecration. Approaching God demands consecration. Many people want to approach God in a way that lacks reverence or lacks the concern of standing before a holy God. Christian, we should never, ever want to stand before a holy God without the grace of God on our side. It was the writer of Hebrews who said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
a fearful thing. And God is expressing here how powerful he is. And the people have not experienced the burning bush. They only know the burning bush by the stories Moses told. They experienced the Red Sea. They, ex- they saw the plagues. They knew what God could do. But this is the first time that children of Israel are coming in contact with God. And isn't it fascinating that God says to them, sanctify yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Make yourselves holy. Clean it up. That's what he's saying. Wash your clothes. Because on the third day, I'm coming down. And when you come before me, you better put your best foot forward. Don't approach me thinking you're going to come in stinking and smelling and just move on. No, come to me with, with cleaned up. Do the best you can. That's what God is saying. Do the best you can. Wash your clothes. And the idea of washing the clothes is not necessarily that God is fully concerned about the outside of the body, but that God doesn't want them to take this meeting lightly. He wants them to understand the importance of this meeting. The only way that I can explain it is by by explaining it. If, if, If the President of the United States was coming to your house, would you pull out the paper plates and the plastic cups? Would you wear your pajamas? Have your hair frizzled, ladies? House slippers on? Looking like you just rolled out of bed? That's how some people go to Walmart, but... (laughs) Sorry, it's my own dig, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but, <laughs> but God is expressing to this don't come to me thinking this is a light matter I am coming down to you I'm going to make you my treasured possession if you obey me you'll be my treasured possession so when I come down before you wash your clothes understand how important this is and then he even goes on and and the the next command was don't just wash your clothes but abstain from sexual contact with your wife what a what a what an interesting concept because the the thing is is that God didn't just want them to respect the meeting He wanted them, he wanted all of their heart too. Every day, as they're getting ready for this meeting, it's a prep, it's a it's a preparatory moment. It's it's get ready to meet God. God's coming in three days. Get ready. Hey, children, get your clothes, get the dirty clothes. We gotta go down and wash. Everybody get ready. Oh, honey, I love you, baby. But we're gonna have to wait for after four days, okay, honey? Four days from now. After the Lord comes, then, 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 every, then, then we can go back to marriage as normal. But until that moment, it's not going to happen. And i got to focus here. i got to keep my mind and my heart fixed on this meeting. God is coming. God is coming. God is coming. God is coming. And so I need to be ready. Doesn't the Bible say watch and pray? Be sober. Be vigilant. Be focused. Because the people who are not sober and vigilant, they lose. Lose sight of how reverent and how important the moment is. How important it is. And so God is expressing in Exodus 19 how how his presence and his coming 
needs to be valued over everything else. Everything else. And God's presence is absolutely terrifying. This is what catches most Bible scholars here because it's not warm and fuzzy. (laughs) It's a thick cloud. It's the earth shaking. It's a trumpet that gets louder and louder and louder. And the Bible literally says that the people, when they beheld this sight, like something out of a dramatic movie scene, when they saw it, they began to tremble. It literally shook them to their core. It put fear in them. Because I want you to know that God's presence in such a magnitude does not cause a man to beat his chest in pride. It causes a man to fall and collapse on his face and say, woe is me. Scholars call it the awful presence of God. The terrifying presence of God. The unapproachable God. The God who stands so high that you bear not, you dare not rush through to see him. Else you die. That's the unapproachable God. He expresses to the children of Israel his power and it puts a fear in them because it's creating reverence for God. Reverence for him. We live in a church age where people have lost the reverence. Forgive me, but I'm going to go there. Is it okay? I don't want to hurt anybody, and I, I promise you I, I am not attacking. But we live in a day where people come to church, and they want coffee and donuts. And they want to have it in the sanctuary. And they want to bring it into the house of worship where we gather. Not, not to sit back like in an easy chair and recline ourselves back like we're watching a show. But we come into this place to connect with the glory of God. And I'm not here to sip on coffee in this house. I'm here to bask in the presence of his glory. I'm here to experience this God who is above and beyond explaining. This God who who is mighty and powerful. I'm here to experience that. And the donut and the coffee is a distraction. Forgive me, I'm not trying to be rude. And I know many people are just trying to get some of these folks that are unchurched out there to come to church. If we make it comfortable, maybe they'll come in here. But let me tell you something. I want the glory of God to be the attraction of this house. Forgive me if that offends you. But I want his presence to be the attraction. Not the fact that we got coffee and donuts in the fellowship hall. And you can bring it in here and kick back. Put your feet up. We're going to entertain you and make you happy. No, God's glory comes down. The entertainment is gone. It's all over at that moment because the glory has come down on the house. It all ends at that moment when you see the Shekinah power of God. And the visual is just amazing. I love what one man said about the thick cloud. He said the thick cloud was so that God 
could experience his people without God diminishing his glory. So he covered his glory in a thick cloud. Oh God, show us that. I think today what we have is people who don't want to fear the Lord anymore. But the Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. When you fear the Lord, there's a reverence. There's a trembling. There's an absolute understanding that He is big and mighty. I am small and frail. I cannot come to Him, but He comes to me. He comes to me. I can't get to Him. He comes to me. And today... We want to come to church. We want to feel good. We want comfortable messages. We want to feel like everything is okay. And we want the preacher to validate our lifestyles. And we want the preacher to to put his hand on us and pray over us and go home and feel like, okay, we went to church and that was nice. But, But what happens in this house if the Shekinah glory comes down in this place? Let me tell you what happens. Sinners begin to tremble. Even the saints begin to tremble. The first thing that floods the house is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's I'm in the presence of God and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. There's a fear. There's a reverent fear that comes into your heart when you get into that presence. But we want, we, if, you want if you want the tickle your ear stuff, you can find it all over America today. All over. But if you want the glory, there's a price to pay to be in that presence. It's actually an obedient heart. It's an obedient heart. It's your love for God that matters at that point. I don't want to experience God in just a little A little bit of, I don't want to experience him in a small fraction of who he is. I want to experience the fullness of who he is. I want to experience that. And God is showing the children of Israel who he is. And and God gives commands. He says, don't come up this mountain. Matter of fact, I don't have time to read the rest of the chapter. But if you get time tonight, read it. Because God literally calls Moses up. And he comes up the mountain, and I listened to Skip Isaac. He preached on this, and he actually got to scale Mount Sinai. And he said he scaled Mount Sinai, and then he read Exodus 19 again at the top of Mount Sinai. He said he hiked for like two hours all the way to the top. He was huffing. He was puffing. He was like a lot of hiking. He said when he finally got to the top, he read Exodus 19. He got to the end of the chapter, and then after being up on the top of the mountain, Moses was commanded to go back down. He said after that, he appreciated the strength of Moses to go up and then come back down. (laughs) And Moses comes back down, and his one goal is to tell the people, don't dare break through the barrier. Because if you break through and you touch the mountain, you'll die. The glory of the Lord will consume you. Scholars believe that somewhere in the process of all the experience, they began to lose the reverence again. 
they began to become familiar with it. And familiarity can really cause a lackadaisical attitude in your approach to God. And so Christian, you need to ask yourself, have you become familiar with the things of God? Or are you still in awe of who he is? And are you still reverencing the power and the glory of God? Amen. Still in, I'm still in awe of him. I'm still in awe of him. Would you stand with me? I'm, I'm done. I could continue preaching just because it's good. <laughs>